I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator, Ms. Stephanie O'Neill. Stephanie O'Neill has reported for public radio, public television, newspapers, and magazines, including the Contra Costa Times, the Los Angeles Times, NPR, American Public Media's Marketplace, and KQED's The California Report, where she was LA Bureau Chief. Currently, she is the healthcare reporter for Southern California Public Radio. Please give a warm welcome to Stephanie O'Neill. So glad to see all you guys here. We've had this fantastic discussion as we've been um, preparing about happiness. So before we get into that, I'd like to introduce our speakers. So we have Dr. Shini Amberdar, and um, she is a physician specializing in adult psychiatry with expertise in psychopharmacological medication management as well as psychotherapy. She maintains a private practice in West West Hollywood called The Happiness Psychiatrist, I love that name, which specializes in providing compassionate, cutting edge, and highly customized care using a blend of Eastern and Western philosophies. Thank you for joining us, Shini. Thank you for having me. And then we have, we have Cynthia Lloyd-Darst, and she is a life coach. She's a certified professional co-active coach, certified relationship coach, and one of the first eight coaches to receive the designation of Master Certified Coach from the International Coach Federation, of which she was a founding member. She currently serves as the president of the Association of Coach Training Organizations and, maintain, and maintains a full roster of private clients in Los Angeles and elsewhere around mm-hmm. the world. So welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. Pleasure to have you you here. So um, what I wanted to start off with was a few of the statistics that we have, the the studies that show the effect of happiness on our health. So um, I've got a list of them here, but I'm going to read about four of them. So there was a study by the Mayo Clinic in 2000 called Optimists versus Pessimists, Survival Rate Among Medical Patients Over a 30-Year Period. And it studied, it followed more than 900 people admitted to a U.S. hospital in 1960. And their degree of optimism was evaluated in questionnaires. And then 40 years later, it was found that the optimist lived 19% longer than the pessimist did. Um, then we have um, another study uh, published in 2000 in the Journal of Ger- the American Geriatric Society. It's called Emotional Well-Being Predicts Subsequent Functional Independence and Survival. And in that study, it was two years long of 2,000 Mexicans over the age of 65 living in the U.S. And the researchers found that the mortality of those expressing most negative emotions was twice as high as that of those who experienced positive emotions. Uh, a finished study in uh, of 96,000 widowed people showed that their risk of dying doubled in the week following their partner's death. And the grief and depression is presumed to have lowered their immune system's defenses. And then last from the book called Authentic Happiness, the author writes that studies show that optimists um, not only live longer, but they do better on exams, they do better in their chosen profession, they uh, live longer and in better health which is obviously very important. They enjoy a better chance of surviving post-operative shock, and they are less prone to depression and suicide. So there's a bunch of reasons that we want to be happy. Um, And so I wanted to start by asking the audience, um, first of all, who here um, considers yourself a happy person? Raise your hand. Okay, so we have about half the crowd, maybe a little bit more. (laughs) And then who here 
believes that you could actually become happier, you could learn how to become happier, which would make your life happier, like skills, okay? So not as many people, but still a lot. We're preaching to the choir, I think, a little bit, right? <laughs> and, um, and then if you would just, a few of you want to raise your hand, I'd love to hear what makes you happy or what you think creates happiness. It doesn't even have to be for you, but what makes you happy? Anybody want to share? Okay. A good relationship. A good relationship. Go ahead. Being around other happy people. Being huh. around other happy people. That's great. Yeah. Back there yeah. with the glasses? Uh, I would say love more yourself. What was that? Loving yourself. Loving yourself. Okay, and next to her? Um, gratefulness. Gratefulness. Mm. That gets more. Mm. Doing something for someone else. Doing something wow. for, for someone else, keeping the attention off yourself. This and is a pretty through. sophisticated audience. Yeah. I just have to say that. <laughs> you guys want to come down here and teach us some stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and let's see one more. The gentleman over there? I would say good friends and family. Being mm. around good friends and family. Being around good friends nice. and family. Okay, that sounds really great. One more she really wants to tell us. Yeah, taking joy in just everything in life, Appreciating yeah. all the beauty around us, because mm-hmm. there's always beauty around us. Those are excellent. So um, I think what we want to do is ask you guys a bit first. So what do you think of those answers, and do those create happiness? How do you create happiness? I think you're right. You know, this is a pretty sophisticated crowd. I think those answers you know, ring true. Um, for me personally, happiness is a feeling of contentedness and mm-hmm. peace. I think we all know individually when we are happy, so I think we all have different definitions. It constitutes different things, but at the end of the day, deep down in your heart, I think you know if you're feeling kind of at peace and contented. So I think that's the most important thing, just checking in with yourself and really figuring out what happiness is for you personally, not what society tells you should make you happy, not what your parents say should make you happy, not what your friends say should make you happy, but really having the courage and confidence to check in with yourself regularly and say, does this this feel right to me personally? Not because it's what's expected of me. We were having a conversation um, a little bit ago And talking about how often when people come to coaching or come to therapy, that um, quite often there's a thought that, you know, if I only have more money, if I only have this relationship, if I, you know, someday when I have written my book, someday when, whatever it is, when I weigh a certain amount, then I'll be happy. And one of the things that happens in our society today is we tend to think, that the circumstances are going to have us be happy. Yeah? And what many of you are already pointing to is that it's not about the circumstances. Circumstances are, gr- are great. They can provide, an, you know, like a, oh, isn't that fun? Isn't that great? But they don't provide long-term happiness. It is that getting in touch with what personally has you feel happy, be happy, content. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that brings up another interesting point. As a psychiatrist, sometimes you see patients come in who have achieved great things, who have mm-hmm. actually spent mm-hmm. years trying to get to a particular goal, and it's amazing. You know, for a short, brief yeah. period of time, they're, they're thrilled that they've achieved the goal, mm-hmm. but then you find sometimes they sink into a severe depression mm-hmm. afterwards. And, you know, why is that? Is it because we thought that if we got that mm-hmm. pot of gold everything would be fantastic, and then once we get that pot of gold, we realize, well, we're happy for a little bit, but now things are kind of back to baseline. So 
you know, obviously goals are very important, and I think having good goals is a component of happiness, but also stepping back and realizing that part of happiness is the struggle, the striving, kind mm. of the enduring, getting to that goal, because once you get that goal, I think it's just human nature, you're gonna be striving for the next best thing. So just recognize that as you're reaching your goals, that part of the happiness is, is the struggling to get there. So one of the things we, we shared earlier too is something I'd read in a book, and I don't remember which one exactly it was, but it was talking about, it was about you know creating goals and reaching them and so forth. And it was something about um, how you know we do these goals because we wanna be happy. And this author said, mm -hmm. well, you can be happy right yeah. this moment. I'm like, well, wait, you know, like, how does that work? I'm a happy person, but you know, I'm not always happy. And I'm like, you know, well, how could I always be happy if I like think about it? And so he talked about how you can, you know, it's a, it's a skill. It's like, it, it's kind of yes. hard at first. Like, okay, I'm sitting in traffic. This sucks. And I have to, you know, I'm late and I want to be someplace else. Yeah. I'm not very happy. And then I think, okay, well, what are the things I can be grateful for? You know, and it sounds cheesy, but it really works. And sometimes I'll do that and I go, well, God, I'm not the person in the accident. I mean, that's kind of an obvious, big, giant, you know, gratefulness there. And then I think about all these other things in my life. And even when things aren't going perfectly well, because they don't always go perfectly well, um, there's always things that are going well and that you can be grateful for, I well, think. One of the things I hear you pointing to is where you choose to put your focus. And if something's going, if something goes wrong, or if something is like horribly stressful, of course that's going to sort of captivate our focus in the moment. It can't help but. But if then at some point it becomes our choice, as as you guys know, it becomes your choice about whether you want to stay with that incident or the drama or the whatever, or go okay, that's there, and now now what do I want to put my focus on? Now what do I want? not letting it just run you because it's there. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Dr. Amberdar, would you have, I think that's an interesting point because I think, um, I guess when people are coming to you guys, they're probably at the point where they've hit bottom so they mm -hmm. want to make change. But I think we all either have been there ourselves or know people who, who don't want to make the change. Mm -hmm. And what is that? What's the psychology behind you know, not making that change for happiness. Well, it's interesting. We were talking about this before this session. You know, not everyone thinks happiness is a goal worth pursuing. You know, <laughs> not everyone thinks that happiness yeah. is, <laughs> is even, you know, something worth striving towards. So yeah. that's the first thing. Do you even want to be happy? You know, if, do you, if you really check in with yourself, do you want to feel contented? Some people, it's a foreign feeling to them. They don't want to be happy. So that's the first thing. Do you want to be happy? <laughs> Ask yourself that. Now, if you do, then set some intentions. You know, there are, there are ways to be happier. But you were asking when people come to me, um, you know, I see a whole range of patients, um, you know, people who are mildly depressed to people who are very seriously suffering from mental illness. Um, but I just think if we as a society paid attention to our mental health a little bit more, if people like all of us here in this mm. room were more kind of open about mental health, then you know, we'd all be better off. So I think psychiatrists especially kind of get a bad rap or we have mm -hmm. kind of, you know, there's this weird stigma, but, you know, I'm, mental health is just as important as physical health, if not more important, Absolutely. you know, because Absolutely. there's that strong mind-body connection. So, you know, I'm not saying you should all come go to a psychiatrist, <laughs> but at least be open to exploring your mental health and, and making it a priority. Well, Make and one priority. of the things we were pointing to earlier, I think, tell me if I'm off on this, okay? Yeah. But... But when people go to a psychopharmacologist, a psychiatrist, or whatever, it, there you really are 
catching people who are, they're in a rough spot. Mm -hmm. They're in a place where, yeah. With, uh, with coaching, more often than not, the people that come to me are already successful. They're already doing well in life. And they just want more. They're ready to write a book. They're ready to do this. They're ready to... And so it's a, it's a little bit different kind of... Mm -hmm. It's like, a, well, I'm okay and I should be or I want... Like, so, so sometimes people have really clear things they want and they're, it's, they're easy with it. They're like, yeah, here's the goal. Let's, set some, you know, let's move into action. And then other times, it's this massive shooting. This massive, like, I'm not... Um, I'm clearly not quite good enough the way I am. Something's wrong here, and so I need this thing in order to be happy, yeah. in order to, like that. Yeah. And so that's a whole, it's a slightly different yeah. conversation that we're having. Yeah, and you might you be know? surprised. They may not be telling you that they're depressed or anxious, <laughs> but they very well may be. And, it, and then, it, then once it comes up, I start giving them yeah. your card, love. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that leads to something else, too. Is like, you know, we are predisposed, right, mm -hmm. biologically, perhaps, to certain demeanors. For instance, I, I, my brother and I are the two kids in the family. He's older. And um, so he was born, and, you know, he's like this my parents describe him as a normal baby who, you know, when he would wake up from a nap, he'd cry and so forth. I, on the other hand, apparently would wake up and just start, you know, gurgling and talking. And they thought there was something wrong with me, <laughs> you know, because I was happy or something, you know. And so I think, you know, and, and in life, you know, I'm definitely the happy, happier of the two of us in terms of um, just my, my demeanor. And um, so there is like two people from the same parents mm -hmm. have different mm -hmm. biology. And so I think it's easy for people who aren't happy to say, well, you know, you're happy because either your circumstances are such or you were born that way. Mm -hmm. But what I found super interesting, I read a book called How We Choose to Be Happy, and there's nine traits of happy people. I thought, really? Like, you can learn happiness? So it fascinated me, and I read this book, and, and I don't do all the nine traits, but um, it was interesting that you can actually learn to be happy. So, I mean, do you believe that, that you can actually teach somebody? Absolutely. I mean, mm. biologically, we've mm. found in studies that the innate genetic predisposition to be happy or mm. sad is only 25 to 50%. Wow. So that leaves a huge percentage that's in our own hands. You know, obviously some people are naturally mm. more mm -hmm. ebullient than others, but mm -hmm. that's still only 25 to 50%. Mm -hmm. So what about the whole other 50% that's in our own hands? You know, there are definite things that we can do. So, doctor, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, the... I'm also thinking that a lot of it must have to do with how we're raised mm -hmm. and with who our, how our parents mm -hmm. relate to us. And is, is that a part absolutely, of it as well? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to have, and you know, this is not always the case, but if you're lucky enough to have parents mm -hmm. that recognize you for who you are as a mm -hmm. child, then mm -hmm. you kind of are in sync. Your upbringing is in sync with your innate nature. But a lot of us aren't that fortunate. A lot of times we have parents or families that don't recognize our innate mm -hmm. natures. And mm -hmm. so then when we get to a point where we you know, feel depressed or anxious, we have to kind of strip away the layers and ask ourselves, who are we really, you know, after you peel away the layers mm -hmm. of familial expectations, societal expectations. So what was your original Well, the, 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 what I was pointing to is like, if so, I'm, I'm kind of making this up, but if it's like, okay, actually, don't let me make this up. I had a mother, God bless the woman, who was joy on a stick. She was, she was just... You know, she loved people. She would be like, oh, let's go out and see the pretty people in the world. Let's go do this today. Let's go. She was happy. Mm -hmm. And I know that, that it taught me naturally to look toward happiness. Mm 
So you were lucky in that I regard. was blessed. I was lucky. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if I had a different mother, different parenting, how that would be. How, if I would have been taught to be looking for what's not working, what's mm-hmm. upsetting, right. what to complain about. Right. Do you know? Yeah, it would have turned out differently. It, it would have turned out differently. Yeah. And so I'm just guessing that if we've been raised in a habit of, um, of that, that we can shift, we can start to, if you... If you have conscious awareness of it, then you can start to shift and recreate your focus. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So it takes energy, though, right? You've both said it takes energy. So that's where sometimes the commitment or lack thereof on people's part. Like there was a a story we shared about that I heard on NPR that um, I think it had to do with uh, the Grammys and Adele winning. It's like, well, God, her songs are so soul gut wrenching. You know, why do we like tune in and and they said something about that you actually get dopamine off being like so sad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then, but then someone was telling me, yeah, but if you have like a higher need for dopamine, that doesn't fulfill you all the time. So, I mean, is that a biological reason why some people go for, you know, anxiety and angst and unhappiness? Or? You know, I think hmm. genetically, some of us are more predisposed to feeling anxious and depressed. There's no hmm. denying that. But I still think that percentage is at maximum 50%. Um, so you still have a lot within your own control, and that's kind of what I think people should realize, that if you truly want to be happier, there are concrete things, concrete ways of thinking that you can embody that will make you happier. And I think that another point that I'd like to bring up is that sometimes our tumultuous thoughts, our thinking is what contributes to suffering or unhappiness. Mm-hmm. So if we can mm-hmm. learn to mm-hmm. kind of control our thoughts or mediate our thoughts, then we can move towards feeling more peaceful and contented. So I'm going to read to you uh, these headlines. They're counterintuitive uh, ways to become happy, but I have to allow Dr. Amberdar to explain them. Otherwise, she'll just, she said, uh, I can't read them. Um, so so uh, one of them was, I love these. I cracked up on every one of them. So the first one was make less money. So... We're all okay. striving to make more money because that's what's going to make us okay. happy. Okay, so we all know <coughs> the adage that money doesn't buy you happiness, and it's true. I mean, after a certain point, after a certain level, a ton of more money mm. isn't going to bring a whole lot more happiness. Now, when you have more money, you have more comfort, but comfort doesn't equal happiness. Comfort equals sometimes boredom and complacency. So we're kind of, we're, you know, the blind pursuit of materialism and money isn't going to necessarily lead you to happiness. So that's kind of all I was... Trying to stress there. So. <laughs> She's gonna okay, and then do you agree with that? Well, Cynthia? and part of part of what I heard in that, I just I just opposed. Sometimes people get so anxious about the making of money or the stressed out by it that that actually creates more and more stress and less happiness. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. I was I was sharing with them a situation I recently had where there was just too much chaos and complication and moving parts. And I remember one day I had I mean had everything. My, I have a, a ranch, horses, and living where I wanted to live. And I was like, okay, I'm not really happy right now. What, what's wrong? This is everything I wanted. And it was just this complicated. I thought, yeah. well, what makes you happy? That was the first time mm-hmm. I answered simplicity, mm-hmm. peace, and balance. I'm like, okay, well, how do I get that? Well, I finally got it. It took a few years, but I'm, mm-hmm. I got it. <laughs> um, and that's a long story. Um, <laughs> so number two, don't get married. Okay, so I have to explain that one. <laughs> so, so obviously, 
obviously, you know, if you read the full article, I, I immediately... <laughs> See? Told you. She was, like, all worried about me bringing these up. No, if you read the full article, I immediately qualify it, and I say, I'm not saying mm. never get married, but just think about it very carefully, you know, it's a, serious, it's a serious decision, you know, a lot of times when patients come in to see a therapist or a psychiatrist, what are the reasons they're coming in? Bad relationship, job stress, so all I was saying there is, is think about the decision and do it if it feels right deep down in your heart, don't do it because society thinks you should right. be married oh, by a certain age yeah. or your parents are putting pressure on you because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to, you know, it's just... That's I all second that. I second that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because you really are. People think, oh, I don't want to be lonely, and I think it's a lot more lonely to be in a bad relationship than Absolutely. it is to be happily single. Okay, so um, be selfish. Mm. That once again, qualifying <laughs> that one. Um, you know, I, I completely believe in compassion and generosity, but oftentimes when patients come in to see me, they're severely depressed and. A large part of that depression is because they haven't looked out for their own needs. That's right. Their own mental needs. They haven't put their own needs first. They're, they're always kind of ministering to other people or putting other people before them. And that doesn't foster inner peace. Well, and you're, it, it's also, um, I, I don't know, this is more anecdotal than scientific. But what I see consistently is people who, if if they're so busy taking care of other people and now they're kind of resenting it and feeling like they have no time for themselves but kind of martyring themselves along, oh, I'm giving for my family, that it literally start, it, it seems to wear down their immune system. Those are the people who I tend to see getting sicker, having some need, and it's usually because nothing else has gotten them to stop and take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And nobody likes a martyr. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Nobody likes a martyr. So look out for yourself. Yeah, right. So uh, how many, and I'm going to ask the women, especially in here, how many women, <laughs> well, no, because, you know, we're the, nur you know, that's the job. And I'm not saying men aren't doing the nurturing, but how many women feel like you're kind of overwhelmed and exhausted? Is there... Not very many, or not very many admitting it. That's good, Al. That's good. So, yeah, two, two hands up there. So, yeah, that's the it's thing about, normal. you know, sometimes when you take time for yeah. yourself, and, you know, it seems like, well, it's, I have to do these other things, but you can't really do the other things well until you, you know, give to others. Well, and I, the men, how, how about the men? Yeah, how, how many yeah. men feel that way? See, few, fewer Overwhelmed, men. Overwhelmed, exhausted. That's typically... yeah. And, but just to you be guys fair, have more adrenaline, yeah. too, than we do. But just to be fair yeah. to the men, I think men have a lot of pressures, too. Oh, a yeah, lot of absolutely. societal pressures to necessarily you know, yeah. be the breadwinner, to go to work every day. You know, they can't take time off if they have a kid. So mm -hmm. men have just as many pressures as women, I think. Well, mm -hmm. and one of the things you're also pointing to is if we get ourselves into a cycle where we're always caring for certain people, always doing this much work, always doing this, doing this, it's extremely challenging to shift that to shift the way we do life and order it into a more balanced fashion. It always sounds like such a good idea. Oh, I want more life balance. But it's, it, that's, you know, it, it's, a, it's hard. It's a challenge to really take that on and have that work. So I just want to acknowledge that, that mm -hmm. some of the stuff is not, you know, oh, I want to be happy. Okay, I'll do this. It's, <laughs> some of this stuff is really radical to take on and to shape in your life. And those of you who've done it, and I bet a lot of you have done this in one way or another, um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah? This next one 
uh, is going to be really hard for everyone in here. It's to be ignorant, and I can tell this is not an ignorant crew here. So, and, and I love this one because what you mean here, right, is to check out of the information overload every so often. And that includes things like even, you know, reading the paper every day, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Sunday Times, yes. my goodness, I love it, but it just takes me so long to get through it. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, and then there's, um, you know, the <coughs> television before you go to bed, which could be really negative. And, of course, the one thing that you should always do, uh, no matter what, is to listen to KPCC. <laughs> but everything else you can probably... <laughs> no, but it's true, right? Information yeah. overload yeah. is... Yeah, and just use that, you yeah. know, check out sometimes and then spend some time alone with yourself, with your thoughts. And I know sometimes that's a pretty scary thought, you know, mm. oh my God, I have to be alone with my thoughts. Mm. But that's kind of the first step in developing that true peace and contentment, you know, whether it's through meditation or yoga or walks in nature or surfing or mm. anything. Learn to be alone with yourself, with your mm. thoughts, you know, turn off the iPhone, the cell phone, the computer, the TV, and, and sit with yourself and answers will come mm. to you. So just, mm. you know, do it, sit with yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's a practice, it takes time, but I think it's a worthwhile endeavor. What about this one, have fewer friends? Once again, what I, by that, what I meant by that is the quality of your friendships is more important than the quantity. You know, sometimes you see people who are going out every night socializing feverishly, partying feverishly, and oftentimes that's filling a void. You know, mm. there's some reason they feel the need to always be out. You know, why can't you sit with yourself? Why can't you spend mm. some time alone? So I'm not saying don't have friends, but just look at the quality of your friendships mm. and stay away from toxic friends or people that don't make you feel better about yourself. You know, there's no need to be around people that detract from your happiness. Well, I'm just noticing a theme. One of the themes of these things is less busyness. Less, you know? Yeah. 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 Who would like that? That sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. And we were talking, too, about um, in there. I don't know if you guys have done this test. It's this muscle test thing. I learned it in the seventh grade in Spanish class <laughs> on a rainy day. So, and it's where you, you, you have so your, somebody put out their arm and then they, you know, you push on their arm. Okay. You've established how hard it is to push down on their arm. And then the, the pusher, the person who's pushing down, um, thinks negative thoughts, but you don't tell the person who's putting their arm up. And then they think positive thoughts alternately. And you will see it works a hundred percent of the time. You need a third person to be your, um, your vetter, and it sh and you the person who is getting the negative thoughts directed at them, they they won't have their strength, and then as soon as you think positive thoughts, their strength will come back. Sounds extremely woo woo. We go home and try it. It will work. <laughs> I swear, we're guaranteed. It's the but it shows you how like positive thoughts and negative thoughts and who you're around. We are in LA. I bet half these people use <laughs> and it. I'm from Ohio. So. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but but that's true. I mean, it's like this amazing thing about the the energy, you know, yeah. the people yeah. you're with, and also probably not just people, but situations you're yeah. around. Again, the news you're listening to, things like that can drain, can drain your energy. And just listen to your instinct, listen to your gut, mm -hmm. you know, what it's telling you. And then um, this one's great, the uh, don't try to fit a round peg into a square hole. That's more like authentic living, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, be sense. true to yourself. You know, the first, you can't be true to yourself if you don't know yourself. So spend some time getting to know yourself. I think what I said earlier, a lot of times we, what we are as adults is not who we truly are mm. at the core because there's so many layers of you know, our upbringing that we have to kind of peel back. So take the time to figure out who you really are and then be yourself, you know, have the courage to be yourself. I've, I've got a question. I, so I was raised in the South. I was raised in Kentucky. And I was raised to be a really good pleaser, you know, 
you know, you know, Southern oh, Belle. Please, you know, oh, everything should be great all the time. How many of you were it were raised to please others more than yourself? And keep your hands up if you if actually let's try this a different way. I want you to put your hands down if you have now learned how to find the way to please yourself first before you please others. Yeah, working on it. Yeah, okay, so we're the ones working on it. Like, you know the difference and you're working on it. Cool, cool. We were talking about this. We were talking about the, the how um, important. It's, it's in, the, in the world of professional coaching, one of the things that we work with a lot is creating awareness. Just creating awareness of what's going on. And so if I'm on automatic needing to please, needing to do things, needing to get things done all the time. I'm not even thinking. I'm not even noticing, right? But if I start to bring some awareness, today, how's this doing? How am, I, am I pleased with this decision? Is this right for me? Just that awareness starts, starts having me start to be a little bit more present in the world, a little bit more creating the life I want to be living, rather than on automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so, so how does somebody do this? I'm wondering if you guys are wondering this too. Like, How does somebody do that when they're, for lack of a better word, locked into a life mm -hmm. where they've got this job and mm -hmm. you're providing for your family mm -hmm. or you're providing your caregiving or you're doing both, any number of things. And there just doesn't seem to be enough time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get up, you get through the day, you go to sleep, you get up, go mm -hmm. through the day. Mm -hmm. how, how is there room for this thing called happiness or fulfillment, personal fulfillment, to fit in that? In, well, uh, do, uh, do, yeah. I'll take this. And you, sure. yeah. um, I, like, well, one of the, I often work with people who have what I call golden handcuffs, people that are paid extraordinarily well for the jobs they do, and they feel like they can't quit. You don't understand. My kids go to private school. I've got a son who's autistic, and he's doing this, and we've got, and with yada da, and my parents, I'm taking care of them, and blah 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 blah. And now there's this lifestyle that's so locked that the it, the person feels like they have no choice, right? So part of where I start working is with the idea of personal choice. If you've gotten yourself locked in a mind frame of this is the only perspective I can have on life, <sighs> you're done. I mean, right there, that's it. If you think the way you're living your life and the way you're seeing it is the truth and the only truth, then you're trapped, right, in certain situations. So part of what I do with clients is start bringing them back to the idea of let's, you may not have a lot of choice about circumstances, but you do have a choice about how you are in relationship to those circumstances, yeah? how you look at it. And from there, we start recreating it so that the person can start making choices more fulfilling, more, that bring them more happiness, where they can start. It's not like, oh, let's just jump. It's not that. It's, it's really, <laughs> you know, it's really let's very consciously create this life that you want to be living. Yeah. yeah, and I wonder too. Um, how many in the audience has had maybe with this economy, you know, lost jobs or mm. had some radical life change, divorces, um, 
you've had you've lost your home anything that's like stressful. that 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 was like a bad thing a stressful thing anybody have that happen mm -hmm. yeah yeah well, so a lot of you and uh -huh. um I find, and I don't know if, if this is, you know, what you find as well, but is that sometimes, you know, the way sometimes we don't, we're not making changes. This is mm -hmm. now getting a little on the spiritual side, right? So that you have this something else, whether it's, you know, whatever your God is mm -hmm. or your higher power, if you have one and believe in that, um, that maybe that sometimes is a way, a great opportunity to restructure everything. I mean, suddenly mm -hmm. you don't have that house. Well, you also don't have that mortgage and now you're not locked into living there, which mm -hmm. means maybe you could you know, mm -hmm. make some other changes. Is that what you find with? It, well, it offers opportunity. Now, here's, he, he, there's a paradox here, though. If, if you um, are losing your house and you've lost all your money and all your, it's horrifying. It's absolutely devastating. And so it's, so, like, if I'm, I'm working with a client now who lost millions and lost his house and lost his stuff and, it's, you know, and we're right there because I kind of think he actually needs to be working. I okay. think he's depressed, you know. I think there's some stuff. I mean, it's very, it's, it's really, um, it's quite serious. So it's not like, oh, let's just put on a happy face. No, it's essential to experience that, to feel that grief, to, to honor that, uh, that devastating loss, that feeling of failure. This isn't how it was supposed to be. Not at all. And so when we can take some time to be with that, to honor that, then bit by bit, we may be able to start to see, okay, now what opportunities might this provide me? The, the danger to me is always when people try to move too quickly from, you know, oh my God, this has happened, to, oh, it's okay, let's just... No, if you're going through something horrible, give yourself the time to grieve that. Mm -hmm. yeah? yeah. So, Dr. Amberdar, you were, you and I were talking about um, on the on the nine habits of of happy people, of extremely happy people. Actually, mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. um, so, one of them is recasting. So, we mm -hmm. just discussed that, where you take something and you look at it in a different way. You have a yeah. different perspective on it, and but that you do have to honor the pain and the grief and right. the void. Right. Um, otherwise, you tend to make the same mistakes mm -hmm. potentially over That's again. That's true too. Sure. Or create the same thing that felt comfortable to you but really wasn't. What are some other mm -hmm. examples of of how you can learn to be happy? I think a, a huge one is take the time to figure out what you're passionate and joyful about, you know, and that takes time. That's not always an easy mm -hmm. answer. We don't always know what would make us happy, what our passions are. So make it a priority to figure out what are my passions, what makes me happy. It could be simple things or it could be mm -hmm. even more complex things like a change in career, but don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. You know, what, what makes me happy? What, what do I find joy in? So I think that would be mm -hmm. the first step. Um, and then you have to you have to want to be happier. You and you have to realize that it's a path. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of daily work. You know you have to check in with yourself daily. Um, so it's not it's just not just going to happen. It's not going to fall on you. You have to work towards it. Yeah. Well, here's a really dumb question, but it's actually <laughs> one that my girlfriend and I were talking about today that I couldn't figure out an answer to. But she's this amazingly talented woman, a former journalist, and. And she's at this place in her life where she's trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, it's like, well, you know, so where's your passion? So 
What happens when it's just like not, yeah. the answer's not coming? That's right. okay. You know, that's okay. It's really normal. <laughs> just give it some time. Mm -hmm. You know, stick with it. You know, it's really hard if you haven't been raised to honor your passions or what your true core is. It's hard as an adult to just say, okay, what are my passions? So it's okay. It's a tough process, but stick with it. Give it some time. Has anybody here gone through that where you've had to figure out like what your passions are? And then were you guys able, are you still, anybody searching still? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then do you guys feel like, I mean, do you take, so like what well, do we one, tell them? What? One of the things, so, so just to kind of give this a slightly other slant, mm -hmm. yeah, is to, is sometimes I'll ask a question, you know, like if someone wants more happiness or wants more passion. So how do you know when you're happy? How would you know if you were happy, right? Sometimes what we, we have to set up are metrics that work for us. So you can't measure how long you've been asleep with a yardstick. You can't, so in, in I know we're getting some signs here, okay? <laughs> um, we're good, we're, we're good. It's important to find ways of knowing, oh, how would I know if I were passionate about something? What would the indicators be? So that you can start to look, rather than, rather than thinking, you have to think of a thing that you're passionate about, blah, you know. Um, how would I know? And that starts a, a, like a, that kind of awareness that I was talking about before, that kind of curiosity. Oh, I'd know because I would want to talk about it, or I would want to be, I'd be wanting to, I don't know what it, you know, but, but think about it for yourself so that you start having indicators. Yeah, they say yeah. if you open a newspaper and you find that you're naturally drawn to certain articles oh, about a certain great. subject, that's, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big indicator of what your interests are. You know, if that's neat. You know, there's a huge newspaper and you always go to those articles on that particular subject, that may be a starting point. The comics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an interesting thing. Like, I like... I like the idea that it's not just in your head. You have to come up with the answers. So you find um, things that you're drawn to that you might mm -hmm. be interested in reading. Uh -huh. um, what are some other, I mean, it, would it be the people you're hanging out with? Uh -huh. Or what other things could we look at that would um, that you would tell your, your patients and clients to... To help find their passion. I would mm -hmm. just say, you know, keep an open mind. Do a lot of reading. Do some mm -hmm. traveling. Do some exploring, you know. Just be open to what the world is, what signals the world is giving you and, and listen to your intuition. What are you naturally drawn towards? I think the answer is, in, is within you. You just have to be quiet enough to, to receive it, to hear it, because it's there. Um, so when you strip away all the noise, you know what you're drawn to and have the confidence to, to give yourself mm. that credit that, yes, I can figure this out for myself. Mm. It's not, you know, it's not out of my reach. Have yeah. the confidence that, yeah, there's something I'm good at. There's something I could be passionate about. I just haven't found it yet, maybe, but it's out there. So, One of, one of the things when people come to work with me, um, and sometimes people are in job change when they come to look. Now, I'm not a career coach, so I don't do career stuff, per se. However, um, sometimes people, you know, I don't know what job I want next. I don't know what career I want next. The first place I always look with a client is to what they value. What, what gets them up in the morning? What are the things that they love? What are the things they enjoy doing? What's important to them? And so bit by bit we find, like I'm thinking of a client who um, she's working in a situation where it, the there's no team and everybody's in it for themselves and it's kind of this cutthroat environment. 
And we, we come to find out that she really values connection. She really, really values partnership and teamwork where we kind of get together and we talk about the thing and we get the goal set and we, we do it together. Well, so it doesn't much matter whether her next job is at a McDonald's or a, an ad agency. We know that one of the pieces she's looking for is, is there going to be team and partnership? That now is going to be one of the indicators. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. And here's a question, too. If you're one who's biologically predisposed to whatever, maybe depression or any, any sort of you know, challenge there, what is the role that medication can play in helping get us through those tough times or maybe, you know, maybe we're on medication all the time? I, what are the roles? I think it can play a very significant role. You know, I think that there's a place for medicine. I think there's a place for therapy. So it really depends on the individual. You know, I, as a psychiatrist, obviously, I believe in medication. I prescribe it every day. I see it work every day. I see mm -hmm. patients literally transformed within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big proponent, obviously, of medication. At the same time, you know, I take a holistic approach. I think there are lots of things we can do to improve our, our mental health. Medication is one of them, if that's necessary. It's not always necessary, but if it is, I'm, I'm very open to that. I think it works. So, so sometimes it sounds like it can be the thing that you need to get, that one needs to get them mm. over the hump exactly. so that they can actually have the energy mm. to exactly. start thinking about what they want to do, goals. Definitely, it's definitely. I mean, if you are if depressed. severely depressed, mm. severely anxious, suffering from severe mood swings, then obviously, you know, there's, that's why we live in the century we do. We don't live in the Stone Age. You know, we have this available to us that wasn't available 100 years ago. So, you know, make use of it if, if you feel you need it. And, and a question I have, too, that might be a little more challenging to, to get at is, uh, so happiness, so we're all supposed to be striving for it. We kind of touched on this. It takes different forms for different people. So what do you tell your, your patients and your clients, you know, how are they supposed to feel? What does it feel like? And we were talking here, like, what is, you know, how do you guys define happiness? What, in love, you're talking about feelings. What are some mm. of the feelings mm. of happiness? Mm. Well, you know, it, that's an exploration that I actually do individually with a client. Although what I've, what I've noticed more and more is there, do, there are themes, and I think we've mentioned them a little bit, like peace of mind is often one of the themes. You know, if I were happy, oh, I just wouldn't have so much on my mind. I'd be able to relax. I'd be able to enjoy things, you know? And that usually has to do with being able to be present, yeah? Mm -hmm. yeah. Being present. We were talking relationships. It was your husband, David, who mm -hmm. said... Uh, it's not happily ever after, it's happily ever now, which I love that. Because, you know, you don't know what you have. You don't know if you have tomorrow. And so many of us, you know, spend so much time looking to the future and, yeah. you know, you have to do this in order to make this happen and I have to do this and it's so stressful. Yeah. But happily ever now, you know, if you just take the moment sometimes, right, and say, right. at this exact moment, this is so fun or this is, you know, yeah. and then that sort of somehow 
kind of what creates more of that, I think, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of meditation as well because mm. I think meditation helps you kind of become master of your mind, master of your thoughts, and I think that's just a key to being happier and more at peace because we always have these thoughts swirling around in our head, racing thoughts, and if we can learn to kind of tame them and feel more at peace, whether it's through things like meditation, which actually has, there's been many scientific studies that have shown the positive physiological and psychological benefits of things like meditation. So if we can Absolutely. have some kind of daily practice where we calm ourselves, where we ground ourselves, I think that could go a long way in helping us feel more peaceful. I've done some stories recently on some studies out of UCLA on exactly that topic mm. where they had people who were caregivers for Alzheimer's mm. patients, which is one of the most stressful things you could ever sure. do. And I'm sure many of you know what that feels like. And and the meditation was amazing, what would happen to the people who meditated versus those who didn't when they did measured studies mm. just on their ability to cope and to feel like they could give. Because, again, you have to give so much in that mm. type of situation. So I think this is probably a really good time for me to turn it over to Dulce for the audience questions. The United States is the first and only, well, not the only country now, but the first country to ever enshrine the pursuit of happiness oh. in their constitution. <laughs> Do you think that Americans worry more about happiness than other people? I actually think that's kind mm. of ironic mm. that it is written in the constitution, mm -hmm. yet so many of us don't, don't think about it on a regular basis. You know, are we really happy? I think most of us are pursuing other things, whether it's you know, wealth or X, Y, Z. You know, we're, not, we're not pursuing happiness. It's an interesting thing. I, I do a lot of travel uh, around the world, and I've led courses in Egypt and Norway and Japan, and every culture has a different, um, you know, different way of, of looking at what's really important to them. So my husband and I, uh, we were in Israel leading a course, and we don't have children. We've been married 26 years. We don't have children. And there was a woman who found out that we don't have children, and she sat down and cried cried, cried, because we didn't have children, and this was such a horrible, horrible thing for us. And, we, and, and you know, I was like, well, honey, we kinda, and we, we've dealt with it. It's a, you know, it's okay. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but to her, that, you know, wow, there would be no happiness without family. So I, I think there are different things culturally. And I can certainly see that in some cultures, they're, like in Japan, everything is so much more group-related. When I first worked with uh, Japanese on the, and the, on the idea of fulfillment, that was something that didn't exist personally. They want the fulfillment of the company values, the fulfillment of their family values, but it didn't matter personally whether they were happy in that or not. Yeah, I so I think culturally there is a, it's fascinating. The techniques you've talked about and the ideas apply to people who may be in really tough circumstances. Yeah. I mean, alone and bad health and not a lot of money, mm. and it's probably pretty tough to be happy. The fact that we can even sit here and talk about happiness, I mean, it means that we have food to eat, we have a roof over mm -hmm. our heads. You're right, you know, people in more dire circumstances probably couldn't be sitting here having this discussion. So I think that's a mm -hmm. great point. You know, maybe we're assuming that we have certain basic needs met, and now we're going to the next step, you know, after we have those needs met, then we'd like to live a more joyous, fruitful life. But I, I, I think that's a great point. It is a great point. And I, I, I know this is, this is one of the places where I'm a little ignorant. But I do know that there are cultures where, um, where people don't have money and they don't have much to live on and they're, they're looking for their next meal. And they're, ha they're, 
they're happy in who they are and in who and in what's around them. They may not be happy with their circumstances, but they have a happiness in them. So I read of such things, mm-hmm. do you know? But, um, but I love where you're pointing, because I do think in the United States, I think that it is a, it is a type of, uh, uh, we can be a little bit elitist about it. Well, I'd say there are plenty of people in this country. Well, that that's, that's true you know, as well right now, absolutely. Well, so. And I think that goes back to also the the answer someone gave here about being happy, what makes you happy, and sometimes it's helping others, which can make you happy, but it's also a way to to reach people who, um, you know, Mm -hmm. who don't have the basic needs met. Hi, my name is William McCoy. I'd like to know if uh, there are any measures or information, studies, whatever, about uh, happiness levels across... Ways that people vary. Uh, culture is one, or, you know, different cultures around the world, uh, men versus women, mm-hmm. age, birth order, and also I'd like to know if there's a relationship between self-esteem and happiness. I would say that there's, there's definitely a relationship between self-esteem and happiness, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, there's a strong correlation between confidence levels, self-esteem. Oftentimes we find the happiest people have the strongest characters, meaning that they're willing to stick up for themselves. They're willing to politely assert themselves, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. set their boundaries, Mm -hmm. make their needs known. Happy people generally aren't emotional pushovers. They don't let other people just dictate the terms of their life. And I think that goes hand in hand with self-esteem and self-confidence. Um, and then your other question was? Other ways research. that people uh, vary. Age, mm-hmm. birth order, mm-hmm. uh, language, mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. They found that our genetic predisposition to happiness is 25 to 50%, and then other superficial things like age, gender, physical attractiveness, economic level, that accounts for maybe 10 to 15% of happiness, but then there's still that large chunk that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter how old we are, poor we are, we can still, by changing our thoughts and the way we look at things, we can still feel better. We can feel, move towards happiness. That happiness really is a relative term. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it particularly interesting in the estates that we attribute a lot of our happiness to external factors. Mm -hmm. And my apologies, Dr. Ambadar. Ambadar, I'm sorry. Uh, One of the things that I think you are key in pointing out is that you really do embrace the fact that happiness does come within. And I think one of the things that is pivotal to finding happiness is really learning that life is about change and being able to let go. And I think that once we become too captivated with materialism or the fact that we're looking for happiness outside of ourselves, such as a relationship, which I... I don't believe in marriage. I do believe that you should be happy wherever you can find it. So um, what are your thoughts about people looking to finding ways of internal happiness instead of focusing on external happiness? I mean, we all know that true happiness comes from the inside. You know, it may be helped along by some pleasant external circumstances, but that's no guarantee. You know, you can, you can get married, you can be living in the huge house, you can have the great car, and we all know, we know rich people, we know celebrities, we know multimillionaires. Are they any happier than the person on, you know, who's living in a modest, in a modest way? Probably not. So it's not those external things. It's that deep internal feeling of contentedness, which I always stress to my patients, you can cultivate by simple practices like meditation or checking in with yourself. Um, But yeah, I completely agree with what you said. Hi, uh, my name is Daniel Diaz, and uh, I deal with some anxieties. So I often find myself with racing thoughts 
um, obsessive thoughts. And so I'm wondering, do we understand physiologically how the mind decides what to focus on, how it mm. goes through dictating which thoughts were? Um, actually, you know, in terms of the bringing up the mind, there hasn't been any one area of the mind that's been kind of localized as the seat of happiness or contentedness, but what they have found is that in test subjects that report feeling happy, the area of their brain called the left prefrontal cortex, it lights up with activity, versus test subjects who feel anxi anxiety or depression, the right prefrontal mm. cortex lights up with activity. So in each one of us, we have a ratio of left to right activity. And on any given day, our mood may vary based on whether the right, whether the right is firing more or the left is mm. firing more. So we don't know all the answers in terms of how it's mapped out in the mm. brain yet, but they have shown that you know, if you're feeling more anxious or more depressed, it's likely that your right prefrontal cortex is firing more or showing more activity. I was wondering, how do you advise clients that uh, have a need to control a certain part of their lives and guide them towards a happier existence? Can you be more specific? They just may have the need to control their environment or control uh, uh, elements that are preset in their minds. I think it's normal for many of us to want to control things, to want to have it all together, and you know, if, if, I've, if I've mapped it out just perfectly, then it's going you know, to be that way. Um, it, it depends on... So some people, like I know personally, I do well if I feel prepared. That actually has me feel content and happiness. But then, then there's also a place where it can be like, <clears throat> you know, anxious, want to control it, want to make sure, you know, uh, when what I, what I need to do is like chill, is relax, is be able to learn a little bit more how to go with the flow and be in the present moment rather than pre-plan everything so much. Yeah, is that, is that kind of, which? Yeah, that's, that's along the path. Yeah, yeah. So, there, so to me, like that's part of it. It's like, what is it, what is it that control is supposed to give? What is it that it's going to give you if you have it all in control? And so to start, you know, I've been saying this several times, like to start creating more awareness there about what you're actually after. Because it's rarely control itself. Yeah, and people who feel the need to be overly in control, that's often coming from a place of deep anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. So maybe they need to address that anxiety and fear first. You know, why do you feel like you have to control everything? What are you so afraid of happening if you let go a little bit? And isn't it true that people who have felt that way and do let go find life easier and they're just happier usually mm -hmm. when they do let go of mm -hmm. it. Is that something you find with your patients? I mean, I think there's a balance between mm -hmm. having control and then, you know, letting go. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say just let go completely yeah, because, no. you know, I don't <laughs> think that's good either uh, because they've shown that people who are the happiest feel like they do have control over mm -hmm. their lives. So mm -hmm. I would say find that balance where you control what you can, but you also accept that, you know, we can't control everything and that's okay. So find that balance yeah. for yourself. For me, uh, sometimes it's, it's, uh, there's certain values that someone's trying to honor. They're trying to honor accomplishment or they're trying to have more, they need a feeling of, that, you know, they want some safety in their life. Okay, how would you know if you were safe? What would that look like? How do we shape that? And now if you're safe, now is there something you still need to control? Do you know? So mm -hmm. sometimes there are different reasons.
And it sort of seems like in our culture to some degree, uh, we seek out uh, extreme happiness. At least for me, it's like Facebook, you know, I post like a picture of me being happy and that makes me feel really excited, really happy. But I think there's some kind of relationship to extreme happiness to extreme sadness to some degree. So I wonder if it's seeking something in between, not quite extreme happiness in a culture where um, extreme happiness is so readily given to some degree. And then my second question was if the emotion that invokes happiness is uh, uh, related to the prefrontal cortex and the brain is similar to a muscle, uh, can you work that muscle so it becomes more integral to your overall thinking? That's a great question. And just to answer that second question, there have been several studies that have shown that in test subjects that meditated on compassion and Mm. kindness Mm. and love, the activity in their left prefrontal cortex spiked to an extent that had never been seen before. So the mere act of meditating on something positive Mm -hmm. like compassion or love Mm -hmm. spiked activity in the left prefrontal Mm -hmm. cortex. That's Mm -hmm. the second. It's fabulous. Yeah, the first question, I mean, you uh, remind me of Debbie Debbie Ford's book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, Um, that so much of, so much of, of us have been taught to um, to chase happiness, to me, oh, yeah, he, yeah, you know. And I think honestly, what we're after today is authenticity. I think I think that's that probable mid range in there. Yeah, what was that? We've been talking a lot about that lately, about how we really are trying to seek out authenticity. In fact, I've raised my entire Facebook timeline because. I know that sounds cheesy, but <laughs> I just really felt like I, I'm trying to be authentic and, and pursue relationships and really be in the moment and enjoy lunch together and friendships <laughs> that are, you know, about uh-huh. now and, and, and authenticity. And it just keeps coming up time and time again, especially, I don't know, with my demographic uh-huh. necessarily, but just everyone that I come in contact with when we're in a discussion about living deeper. Yeah, and I think you bring up a great point about Facebook. I actually wrote about that in one of my other articles that, you know, I think if it's used kind of, you have to balance your use of Facebook. I think it can, it can kind of cause a lot of problems and I've seen that in my (laughs) practice. So, so I would say, you know, limit your time on Facebook. My name is Edith Estrada and I have a question for the doctor. I'm one of those people that feel like I need to be in control of everything that I do and that everything that happens in my life. So I have a problem with being vulnerable. So I wonder if there is a correlation between vulnerability and happiness. You have a problem with being what? Vulnerable. 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 I, I know this was to the doctor, but I just, here's a yeah, thought. Go ahead. Have, you checked out, have, have you checked out Dr. Brene Brown's work? Yeah, TED Talk. Her, Check I, out. I heard her TED Talk on it. Yeah. She's just come out with a book called uh, Daring Greatly. And it's all about vulnerability. It's all about uh, the, and the, the freedom that it gives. So there's a, there's a thought. Is there a biological <laughs> effect? Is there a, cor- like a biological correlation physiologically, do you know? You know, I'm not sure, but the fact that you had the confidence to admit mm-hmm. that you're vulnerable in front of an audience <laughs> of people, <laughs> I think that shows that you have a lot of confidence. And, you know, you should pat yourself on the back. She doesn't want to be vulnerable. She's wanting to control everything. That's what she said. Okay. okay. <laughs> but it's a vulnerable question. Okay. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I was just saying that, you know, it's, it shows that you have a lot of strength, too, that you were able to admit mm-hmm. that you're vulnerable in front of a group of strangers. So, um, but your question was, can I be vulnerable and also be happy? Yeah. Was that? 
Absolutely. Mm. You know, vulnerability is a part of being human. It's honoring a true part of yourself. So whenever you try to suppress a part of who you really are, that leads to unhappiness. Oftentimes, if our external mask is in sync with our internal core, you know, we feel at peace. It's when there's that dissonance between what we're projecting to the world and what we're really like, that's where the, a lot of the unhappiness comes in. So, hey, if you're vulnerable, there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable. It can be a beautiful trait. So embrace that. But if you feel like it's causing you problems, then, you know, maybe we need to address that. Maybe that needs to be addressed. But, but be nicer to yourself. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a vulnerable, open person. Yeah.